0: Welcome to the Business of Betting Podcast. Today I'm joined by Brock Landers, 41. Brock, it's a pleasure to have you on, my friend. The Business of Betting Podcast is proudly brought to you by the Betfair Hub from Betfair Australia. No matter where you are in the world, if you want expert articles from pro punters, from building automated models to betting psychology, check out the Betfair Hub. Betfair.com.au/slash hub. Gamble responsibly. Welcome to the Business of Betting podcast. Today I'm joined by Brock Landers 41. Brock, it's a pleasure to have you on, my friend.
1: Pleasure to be on, Jake. Thanks for having me. Uh, I never thought I'd be on one of these episodes so quickly. This was kind of like a long-term goal, but this is awesome. Um, couldn't be happier to be here.
0: No, thank you. It's it's fun because obviously we've met a few times here in Jersey and uh, obviously been doing different podcasts throughout the sports betting world over the last few years. So it's, it's fun to get together and have a chat about all things betting. Um, plenty of people know you from Wager Pager, obviously, and and prominent on Twitter these days. I think uh, your co-host often jokes about having the most doubts in New Jersey. So uh, uh, plenty of people have probably heard you talking before. But before we get stuck into some of the more betting-specific topics, just tell us a little bit about you, um, you, you know, growing up. In the, on the East Coast, I would imagine, and, and what that was like and, and how that led towards a, a life in betting.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've been born and raised in New Jersey, uh, you know, North Jersey, Passaic County, lived here my whole life. Uh, and I guess it's, a, you know, part of your, your culture growing up is you eventually get into the, the gambling in some aspect or, or another. Um, I, I think it started probably maybe in, like, uh, middle school, uh, ran like a uh, NBA finals bracket with a couple of kids in class and stuff like that. And then that turned into fantasy baseball when I got to high school and fantasy football. And I think it was probably at the age of maybe like 17. Uh, my father taking me to the racetrack on like Friday nights when the uh, thoroughbreds would be at the Meadowlands. And, you know, it was kind of, let me show you how to read a racing form. So that turned into another hobby as I got older and uh, yeah, found myself going to the racetrack on weekends and, you know, you hit a pick four and that's a good feeling. And, you know, that kind of just branched into everything. And then I've, I've always been a, a huge sports fan, like I said, and uh, you know, taking the trips to Vegas and going out there to bed on a Sunday and seeing what that was like. And, you know, it, it's crazy how far we've come, you know, I'm I'm 31 now uh, just to see what has gone on since, you know, the age of 17 going from horses to fantasy to, To where we are now with legalized sports betting is is uh incredible it's been a dream
0: (laughs) so tell us about the horse racing part because oftentimes people are sports fans sports bettors and horse racing doesn't seem to have had necessarily the same trajectory as it has in in my home country in australia or other parts of europe like the uk and, and so on where often a lot of those bookmakers will have you know lopsided betting towards horse racing over the years it's getting closer towards 50 50 or better on sports but here now anyway i mean obviously people have probably heard of tvg and naira bets and and few of the other options that are available but from your point of view what was the obviously you talked about how you got involved at the meadowlands and that type of thing but the path to horse racing is it is it a common thing did you have a group of 5 10 15 buddies that, that would follow it or was it just one of those things that was unique to you in your experience
1: no it was just pretty much unique to me growing up i mean uh you know, my father had ties to, um, you know, horse racing when he was younger and like, it was like the thing for him to do kind of, um, so he kind of passed that on to me and that's kind of where I started. And then not until probably I would say maybe I got into like my mid twenties, maybe more of my friends would be like, you know, Hey, I went to the, you know, the horse racing track and, uh, have you ever gone before? Have you ever bet? And I'd be like, <laughs> you know, I grew up 17 with a racing form in my hand. I'll tell you anything you want to know about how to handicap a race, you know? so it was like kind of like as I got older more people kind of accepted it a little bit more but I mean I could tell you stories like you know 17 18 years old I mean you know I went to Seton Hall uh I go to afternoon class be out by two o'clock Breeders Cup weekend I would drive straight to the racetrack by myself to go bet the uh, Breeders Cup races so I, I definitely was a horse racing fan probably in my earlier gambling days
0: yeah no a lot of parallels to to many I'm sure who are listening and it's funny, I think horse racing, at least in, in Australia, UK and some of these parts, has a bigger impact on people than they think when it comes to, to gambling because it's multi-dimensional, there's multi-factors when it comes to A, a horse race, obviously, if you just look at the individual form of one horse and or one race collectively, like there's a lot going on there. Similar in some ways to sports, but I think where it, it, it does differ is just the, the different betting options that are typical and common in horse racing you said before some of the different pick options, obviously the Quinellas and trifectas and all these different things. You got to think through the different nuances of of what's going on on the racetrack. And, and oftentimes, at least, you know, my experience, there's a race every two minutes, three minutes, five minutes all around the country. So you got to be on your toes when it comes to this stuff.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that, that would always be the craziest thing too. I mean, everybody like, you know, I'd go with friends sometimes in the summer to Monmouth and they'd be like, you're all over the place, you know, you're playing Saratoga, you're playing over here, you're playing over there. How do you keep up with all of it? We're we're here at Monmouth. Why don't you just play Monmouth? And I'm like, there's just there's different horses, different tracks and it's just there's always something going on, which is always pretty cool with horse racing.
0: So do you still follow it these days? Like have you been do you, are you a triple crown kind of following it or are you follow in detail to this day?
1: Yeah, I was going to say I probably my interest in it has probably gone way way back. Um You know, I I was definitely more into it when I was like in my early teens and even, you know, probably up until I was like 21, 22, I would always follow, you know, what two year olds were coming up into the following year and triple crown season and, and all that stuff. And, you know, the, the breeders cup races, but now, I mean, I'm lucky if I probably play maybe four or five horse races a year, I still try to keep some, you know, track on it. Again, my dad follows it a lot more uh, you know, we still have our horse racing talks of, you know, who's down in Florida and who's winning races and trainers that, you know, from the past that we still see in the paper and stuff like that. But I would definitely say right now, I mean, it's such a minute part of my, my sports betting type stuff that it's like, you know, I, I'm probably behind the curve from where I was when I was in my teens.
0: Yeah. Well, before we get on to sports and betting and fantasy and that type of stuff, are there any tracks that are must visits? I know, Plenty of people talk about Saratoga and, um, you know, the options up here on the, the East coast or the Northeast, but Del Mar and there's a, you know, obviously some in Kentucky and down in Florida, are there any that you've been to that are must visits?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I, I haven't been West coast. Uh, that's pretty much like, uh, probably at this point, like bucket list for me so far. Like I would love to go to Del Mar and Santa Anita and, you know, all the, the great places out there. I haven't been, been West. Um, but I've been to Gulfstream plenty of times. Gulfstream is beautiful. I can't recommend that enough. Um, I've been to Florida Derbies and stuff like that down there, so that's always a a treat to go to when I want to get away from the Northeast weather up here in Jersey. Um, but as far as you know, New York, you have to go to Saratoga in the summer. Uh, that's that's definitely a must. I, I went up there with some friends about two years ago, and they don't even like horses, and they were blown away by you know how much fun it was going to Saratoga for the day and uh still my favorite though to this day is belmont uh that's just such a historic track and just so cool seeing all the ivy on the wall and just knowing what's taken place there over the years and how like original it is and then uh you know me being a jersey guy my whole life jersey kid uh you got to throw monmouth park in there uh (laughs) that's another one that's historic i'm sure a lot of people will probably have their their criticism of it but you know that one's near and dear just a, a short drive down the shore to uh to see some horse racing in the summer
0: yeah it's i've been there a few times now and it's funny because there's never anyone there but also there's always a bunch of old guys there with their hats <laughs> on there some have like walking sticks and canes and and i usually randomly just go up to them and start talking about horse racing and they love it like they absolutely love it they obviously know i'm not from around here kind of guy but um, they, are, you know, been going to the same booth in the same track for 30, 40 years sometimes, and you can just feel the enthusiasm coming out of their, their bones when they talk about horse racing, which you obviously don't find very much anymore, which is sad.
1: Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, there you'll definitely find your hardcore guys there. Um, I, I definitely like betting more at the actual track where live races are. Um, you know, it, it's, it's always kind of a weird scene. You go to the Meadowlands and the simulcasting, like that's just a whole nother breed of people that you're going to meet there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, meeting guys at the track and just talking to horses and stuff, like you said, it, it's rare these days to find, you know, lifers like that.
0: So tell me about sort of through high school and, and, you know, university that period of time when, cause one of the things that shocked me the most in my first like full year living in the U S was. It's seasonal in terms of sports, obviously, but um, it's interesting and unique across every sport. So you talked about, I think you said NBA Finals brackets, obviously March Madness, there's, you know, bracketology, the the President of the United States fills out a damn bracket, for God's sake, like it's <laughs> it's to that level. And then obviously fantasy football is, is pretty crazy and I haven't done much fantasy baseball, but I know that's sort of where it all emanated and people talk about rotisserie leagues and all this sort of stuff. And I'm in a 32-team, season-long NFL Fantasy League where everyone has their own team and there's just a wide array of stuff that goes on Super Bowl Squares coming up here shortly as well so yeah how has all of that impacted you because there's so many different things you got to manage did you try and follow all these different sports have all these fantasy leagues have all these sort of player evaluation drafting you've got to come up with sort of strategies and and ways to approach it do you think that's sort of helped you over the years as you look back on all those different types of in variations, their betting options or ways to be, you know, have skin in the game?
1: Yeah, I, I think it was a good way to actually start out because, uh, you know, it it was one of those things. I mean, you're growing up, you're a kid, you know, all you, you watch a lot of sports every night. Um, you know, you're playing video games like crazy where, you know, uh, that was pretty much the only video games I ever played growing up were all sports games. So I always knew you know, third string tight ends and stuff like that. And, oh, this guy is always, you know, pretty good in this game. You know, maybe I'll draft him next year. And then that just turns into, you know, you you find a couple more kids that you know in in high school who are into it. And they're like, hey, we should have a fantasy football league. And then that turns into my friend has one and my other friend has one. So, I mean, you go into that type of aspect and then, you know, you want to win. You want to win the money at the end of the day. So it's like you, you could kind of over some time kind of see where people's weaknesses were. And that was the that was the thing. I was always able to focus on on pretty much fantasy baseball because it was every spring. Um, so like March, April ish, right after Super Bowl, I'd start all my fantasy baseball stuff and that would just be, you know, I'd get Street and Smith uh books, if anyone remembers those things, uh, which would just basically be big team previews on all the baseball guys and stuff like that. And, you know, and that's that's kind of what happened. You translate all that and you win a couple leagues and, you know, at the end of the the year you're getting you know somewhere probably between like five hundred and a thousand bucks for a kid going into grade school uh into you know high school into college and you you win a couple of those, and it's like now what can I do? you know I want to win again so it was definitely a, a good a good prep for probably you know where i'm I'm at now you know
0: How did sports betting start? obviously there's variations of betting going on in these different ways and shapes and forms, but when it came to sports, do you remember the the earliest times of placing bets on teams? Were you, you know, betting your teams or were you betting more, more, more sophisticated ways back then or did that take some time for it to evolve?
1: Believe it or not, that did take a lot of time. And it's kind of funny how I got into that transition of it. Um, I want to say probably when I got out of college, which was probably like 2011, 2012-ish, um, I, I got contacted by a friend I went to high school with and he said, uh, you like football, right? So I said, yeah. And he goes, I- I'm at work with like, you know, 50 people and it's a pick em pool against the spread. And I was like, I don't really know too much about like spreads and stuff like that. I'm not sure how I would do, but I do watch a lot of football. So I joined it that first year and like, I've, I finished terrible. Like I was nowhere in the hunt. And I was like, I watch football every Sunday. I watch all these games and, you know, I know the players and it just doesn't make sense to me. So somehow I stumbled upon, believe it or not, uh, Gil Alexander's uh, Megapod podcast. Yep, yep. And I listened to that for like you know a, a week. Let's just say like a, a week three episode or something like that, and I was hooked. I I heard Gil talking about the games and which ones to avoid and you know their their handicapping spots and all this stuff, and I kind of used that to start shaping. And long story short, I ended up winning the pick'em pool. I think two out of the next three years. So <laughs> winning all that money was like, whoa! Like th- this is this is something. I went from not being really able to figure out betting to kind of you know I'm kind of into it now. And then uh, you know I ran into a, a friend who actually moved back into my town uh, from you know grade school. And one day we we go out for one night to to you know get drinks at the bar. And he's like, oh, I, I took the under in this game. You got any action on it? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he was like, you don't bet. So I was like, no, I do like pick em pools and stuff like that when football comes around. But I don't even know where I would go to like, you know, get money down on an actual side or a total. And then he was like, I could put you in touch with somebody. And then that turned into pretty much where I started sports betting, you know, religiously. And I mean, I took my lumps, man. I I I, I learned – you know, a a valuable lesson. Now looking back, I'm like, I'm such an idiot. I had one book to basically use. And like, you know, I look back at it and, you know, just being shaded on half points and stuff like that. And, but that's how you learn, you know, you want to get to that point where, why am I losing, you know, this and that. And I think everything just really started though from Gil's thing. And then that kind of branched out and, you know, just wanted to learn more about it.
0: It's crazy to think how much things have evolved, even in like ten years, like the last decade. Yes. Uh, in terms yeah. of a content, like Gil's show, I had a similar experience. I remember I used to listen to uh, 1080 the fan in Australia, driving to like university or high school age type stuff, and it was two guys in Oregon. I don't even remember the name, but they would talk about Oregon football all day, and I would just listen to those guys, you know, for hours and hours while I was driving or while I was doing other stuff and then I've similarly found sort of those sort of uh handicapping shows and then from there the Australian versions of that and so on but it's it's crazy how that was what it is back then to today where there's so many podcasts there's so much content there's plenty of bad stuff but there's there's also plenty of good stuff and it's wild to think that almanacs and books and you know annual reports and reviews were the way we used to do things to to these days where it's accelerated so much you can sort of go on twitter and find a lot of things if you know where to look
1: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, like, like I said, I mean, I I sound like I'm like it doesn't sound that far away talking about like 2012 out of college, but I mean, you know, we're we're already almost 10 years into that, and it's like so much has changed since then.
0: Yeah. So, what was the culture like around betting, either through those earliest you know years of it, Um, because it seems like the more I get into it, in terms of places like Jersey, uh, Philly, Pittsburgh, you know, anywhere in Ohio, obviously Nevada and whatever else, but A lot of those places, it's pretty much ingrained into the the week-to-week when it comes to sports.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, and that's the thing, too. I mean, you know, like I said, my friend gives me one account, basically, when I'm, you know, 23 or whatever that was, 22, 23, and, you know, then that sparked to, oh, another guy I work with has an account at, you know, this. And then every day at work, it's, who are you betting tonight? What do you like tonight? Who did you get this weekend? And, oh, uh, look at this parlay that, you know, just missed by one team. You know, we'd have those conversations at work and, you know, y- you'd hear it and... You know, same thing. I'd I'd hear kids in the gym talking about it, and I'd be like, "You have a book?" And oh, let me get that account. You know, blah blah blah. So like, it's just it's ingrained in everybody here, kind of in a weird way. And now that everything is legal, I mean, more than ever, are are you hearing gambling talk, sports betting talk everywhere? Anywhere you go, bars, you know, anywhere, you're you're going to hear somebody talking about whatever game is on TV.
0: Yeah, and it's funny because I would imagine so many people now in this this current day and age with the legal bookmakers are at a similar point to all of us when we started out, whether it was high school age or a bit before, or a bit after. But they're all at that earliest point, and you can sort of tell a lot of the time when you talk to friends or colleagues or other people about it, and you can sort of say, "Yeah, that used to be me. It used to be me actually, and plenty to learn." And hopefully, they get on the right track. But what do you think about sports betting and and the industry? allowed you or made you or forced you onto the right track when it came to trying to get better, trying to improve. Because I'm sure there's plenty of guys in their 40s and 50s and 60s with those outs that they they got over the years that are still betting the parlays or still betting the, you know, the, the massive favorites when they're sort of overinflated at the Sunday night games and stuff like that. There's obviously a point in time where you say, you know what, I'm not that interested in losing anymore or I'm not that interested in being a sucker for too much longer.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great point that you make, Jake. And I do think that the the average person, unfortunately, they they just don't wanna get to that next level. I think they're content and they just go, Well, everybody loses and you know, everyone's gonna have their good weeks and their bad weeks and blah, 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 blah. But I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't an idiot. I mean, I I went to school, you know, I minored in business and I said to myself, you know, there's something just not adding up here that it's just so inconsistent where there's these weeks where things go great. And then there's these weeks where I'm down, I'm down, I'm down. So I, you know, I was, I guess maybe that 1% of the average, you know, let's say if you had 10 people lined up. I was probably the one guy who said, no, I want to get better. I want to learn what I'm doing wrong. I want to learn how these people become professionals. And I think stumbling upon shows like VEASAN and reading books and, you know, listening to, you know, I'm not trying to give you your own plug, obviously, but, you know, listening to great shows like this with with professional guys who are kind of revealing behind the curtain just a little bit, and you just pick up on those tidbits and you're like – let me try this. Let me hear this. Let me, you know, let me try to get better at that. And, you know, that is a big mistake that I make is is doing this. So I think I'm probably, you know, again, a small sample size of the of the square guy who wanted to actually learn and do what was right. And I think that didn't really set in until I started hearing about sports maybe becoming legal in Jersey, which was like talked about for a while And I was like, if it ever goes legal, I want to be able to get to that point where I know what I'm doing and I'm not going to make mistakes and I'm not going to do things that I'm doing now. And like so much of legalization solved so many problems. I mean, you know, you get to the point where now there's 18, 19 books and like, that's a huge way to become a better, better is having just the outs to do it. And, you know, I think that, I had definitely a lot of good influences and a lot of good things that I picked up from different places. But, I mean, I could tell you, too, like I I put in a lot of time. I put in a lot of work. I mean, I I would literally come home at the end of the night, uh, you know, exhausted, tired. And I would literally just go on, you know, the odds checking sites. And I would literally look at every NBA game and go, wow, this total opened up at 240, went down to 238 went down to 235, went back up to 237. Like I analyzed line movements and I wanted to see what was going on in games. And I mean, I think that's just another common thing that that someone's going to mistake when they go to a sports book, they're going to see the number that's on there and they're going to think that that's the number, but it's like, no, you have no idea. That number has already been manipulated like, you know, five times in the last 24 hours. Like, you know, that, that 240 you see was 235 three hours ago or something like that. So I just think that the average person just doesn't want to put in the time to do that. And I mean, I went through a lot of trial and error of, of just doing that. You know, why did this game close here and and what happened from here to here? Oh, this guy was out. That was an injury. That's why the line moved. And, you know, you get to that point where the people who want to get better will do things to get better. And I mean, I think that goes for anything in real life. If you want to get, you know, great at something you need to put in the time and you need to put in the effort, and you need to listen, and you need to read. And, you know, so much of gambling is is mental, too. I mean, there's a lot of there's a mental aspect that you have to go through. And, and that takes years to get to that point.
0: Did you focus on specific sports or even markets within that you talked about, you know, an NBA total, for example, or was baseball more of a focus when you were sort of developing your betting acumen throughout those years? Or what what did you, how did you want to allocate your time to be able to improve, you know, throughout those years?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the thing was, I was never really anybody who watched college sports that big. Um, it was always just, I only really knew pro teams, pro pro players. And, you know, like I said, I'm a big baseball guy, football, basketball. So I was just sticking kind of to that stuff. But I mean, again, you know, you, you listen on VEASAN or something like that and, you know, you hear that, it's like, well, you know, betting NFL sides is not the greatest thing to try to attack. And I was like, okay, bingo, stop betting NFL sides. You know, let's, let's focus on, you know, maybe first halves, maybe let's focus on totals. Let's, let's go somewhere around there. Same thing too, like baseball money lines. I mean, those things are so, you know, ever changing and crazy to try to, to, to hit a side straight up. But, you know, if if you focus on the total, you know, you might have a better chance of cashing tickets. And then I think it got to the point where, um I think I heard somebody on a podcast once say like, you know, betting the WNBA is probably one of the best edges you can have, and I mean, originally you snicker at that and you're like, who who really knows can name the the WNBA teams, but then you say to yourself and you look at it and you're like, wow, there's not that much information about there and when you do have good information in a small sport like this, you could really cash tickets, you know, at a at a much better clip than than the pro sports. So i would say in probably like the last five years i've gotten way more into college basketball college football um wmba and and stuff like that and you know you like i said you just kind of learn that you know the pro sports that you grew up watching aren't really the best ones to bet on if that makes sense
0: yeah right exactly right the more people that are focusing on the more eyeballs makes it a lot more efficient and far more difficult but I guess humbling yourself in a sense to go and bet on WNBA or saying, you know what? I can't beat NFL on Sundays. I'm going to have to try first quarter or first half markets or something else. That in and of itself seems like a, a difficult thing for everyone to want to do. Um, yes. But ultimately they're the kind of decisions that you need to make if you want to switch over from being a wreck to a, a semi-professional or whatever you want to call it through to a professional, whatever the, the level people want to get to, you got you to gotta make those decisions at some point along the way.
1: Right, and again, I, I, like I said, the, the average person right now in New Jersey who bets, they can't really grasp that. you know It's, it's always, well, I want to bet this game that's on at eight o'clock tonight that I'm going to go watch with my friends. What's my best advantage to to try to cash a bet? And it's like, you know sometimes if that's your, if that's your mentality and mindset, you know you're really not going to get to the finish line, you know.
0: So tell me about sort of managing outs. So you talked a bit about it before um, throughout the earlier years and getting a few different spots to, to now where there's obviously the legal bookmakers, how much of your time goes into that? Obviously, you know, accounts get closed or things change or, or whatever it might be, but is that a dominant part of your betting time or are you still focusing more of it on the, the analysis side?
1: No, I mean, so much has to do with, with just knowing which outs will, will, will ultimately benefit you. I mean, I'll be honest, there's 19 legal outs in New Jersey. And I mean, I still keep like three or four ones, you know, that aren't. Um, But it's to the point where I kind of know which number is going to be still available by the time I can process what I need to bet. So it's like, you know, know, I might not waste my time trying to put in a, a first half bet at FanDuel. But if I could get it down at, you know, DraftKings or Bet365 or somewhere like that, um, I'm kind of already like, all right, I can kind of, you know, maybe go more to this book than that. Or again, I, I, like I said, I still keep a local, you know, one or two. And I, I just know, like, don't even try to play, you know, uh, a, a total there because it's going to be already shaded like a, a point and a half off of what it should be. So, I mean, you know, you, you kind of get to the point where you know which ones work. And then there's just, there's just some apps that I just refuse to use just because it's more of a hassle. I mean, I don't want to put any like, you know, specific books down, but I mean, some by the time you log in and go through the welcome page and go through here and go through there, it's like, it's not even worth my time, you know, but it, it, again, it's, it's good to have outs. I mean, that's, that's the name of the game.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And what about non-traditional ways like different handicapping contests or competitions have they become more prominent? Because I know plenty of people talk or have talked about the Super Contest over the years, which is obviously, I still think, Nevada locals only. But uh, the Circa one as well, more recently, there's there's plenty more options out there. I think there was the DraftKings, Kings yep. um, hand, handicapping competition in, in Jersey over the last couple of years. But are they things that you might try and focus on as well where you don't have to worry too much about outs necessarily and um, you can potentially make an earn if the, you know, the pot's in your favor to an extent?
1: Yeah, so actually funny you mentioned that Jake. I mean, this year um this year was definitely a a good year because uh, I definitely put all my eggs in, in the basket of, you know, circa uh millions. That was pretty much my my goal this year was to join circa millions and join uh super contest and I'll be honest with you the whole reason was I know how much attention those contests get, but with all the COVID restrictions that were going on, I said, you know what? The, the population for this contest to actually maybe finish somewhere decent is more of an advantage. And I mean, going into the flight that I took out around labor day, you know, there was still overlays at, at circa. And I said, if, if there was ever a chance to to try to do something, it's now. So instead of really betting straight bets, just in, you know, books this year, I really just focused on those contests. And I think going forward, I, I might just keep doing that because it was like a good way to, 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 you know, kind of put your action out there on NFL sides to have a a more increased payout than trying to beat NFL sides on a weekly basis, you know, rather going season long. Um, But, you know, assuming things go back to normal, I mean, circa had such success this year that that contest is only going to get bigger and and harder to place in. And, you know, you're going to get to a point where, you know you're going to need to really go 65-70% to try to hit some of these you know payout windows i mean you know went 60% this year in Circa at and finished 35 so i can only imagine next year if you add another 1000 or 2000 entries you know you're really going to need to have a perfect season which kind of puts you back into well why am i you know going right. out to to pay the entry fee pay the proxy and have to basically go 65-70% for 17 weeks so, yeah, I mean, DraftKings is, is definitely, it seems like, the the lesser of, of uh, you know, the Vegas contest, but they're going to start to grow eventually too now because you're, you're going to be competing with different uh, jurisdictions. Like, I think this year's DraftKings contest was Jersey and Pennsylvania and a couple other states that were involved, but I mean, there's still like 500, 600 entries. There wasn't much.
0: So tell me a bit more about the Circa one, because I've obviously followed the Super Contest over the years and plenty of outlets um, have done that. But I think Circa's in its first year or two, or maybe I'm getting that wrong, but how did the how did the contest go overall? Did you say you hit 60% and you still finished inside the top 40, but not necessarily close to the top?
1: Yeah, so this was the second year Circa was doing second. Circa okay. Millions, and uh, pretty much the top 10 got the biggest payout. So if you finished one through 10... Uh, I mean, you range from, I think, a million at the top to 10,000 down at 10th place. And then uh, 11 through 50 pretty much all split up prices depending on who finished where. So, uh, you know, tied with a couple people at 35 and, you know, got back like 4,000 bucks, which again, uh, you know, it's nothing life changing, but it was just kind of like uh, the simple fact, like feeling good that, hey, you know, there was 3,148 entries out there and to finish in that top 50, uh, tremendous accomplishment. I mean, uh, it's, it's definitely something that I was extremely proud of and, uh, you know, definitely something I hope to eventually build on in the future, but, um, you know, it made it worth, worth its while just be able to say that. And the support I've gotten about it was, was great from so many people. Um, but, but, you know, going forward, who knows? I mean, Circa, there could be two contests. Who knows? There's, there's going to get to a point where I'm sure there's going to be just more and more people. Um, the, the attractive thing about Circa is, too, there's so many quarterly contests built into it. So if you had a really good, let's say, four-week stretch where you went 18-2, and two, uh, you could take home, like, whatever it was, 150000 bucks, Or if you finished second place in that quarterly contest, you would get, you know, 10 grand, you know, so there, there was definitely more incentives to do the circle one because there was more payouts and more on a, on a quarterly basis. Um, but super contest, I mean, that was always the first one that, you know, kind of set the stage for all this and now they pay out like the top 100. Um, but you know, I look at it differently. If I focused more on the super contest this year, I probably would have placed way better money wise, uh, in that aspect. So I learned a lesson kind of there, just kind of with contest theory alone. Um, but you know, there's a lot that goes into it.
0: Are they being well-received? Is it going to be a common thing, especially as we get towards, you know, two dozen, three dozen States in the United States that have legal sports betting and maybe even more pooling of, of money and, and that type of stuff, at least, you know, in the longer term, is it something you think that will take off a bit more and will be, far more common for people. Maybe they won't do it at their office as much. They might just do it uh, at their local sports book or something like that.
1: Well, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you know, you got to think, though, I guess if if your local office, you probably have a better chance of winning, that's for sure. And you're not going to be going up against some super sharp, you know, groups that are out there that have three, four entries in the same contest or something like that, or guys that are grouped up together who are working as a team with maybe 12 entries or something like that. So you run into that aspect of it, but I think they're only going to keep going up more uh, just because they get publicized more. I mean, you look at how beautiful Circa is and, you know, all the ads and the sponsorships and, you know, the, the job that they're doing over there uh, is just tremendous. I mean, you know, they're only going to get more people to come into their doors with, you know, that stadium swim thing that they built is, it looks incredible. Um, So I I think they're only going to get more people and, you know, there's also people too that are going to see the, the downside of it. I mean, there's some people that I told us that I, I paid, you know, a thousand bucks to get an entry. And they're like, you're crazy. You, you spent a thousand bucks to enter a pick 'em contest. And, you know, for some people that doesn't make sense and that's a lot of money. But, you know, you break that up over a 17 week season and it's, it's really not that bad, you know? Um, so I think you're going to get some people who may balk at the price or you may get some people who, you know, just decide and say, hey, I'm going to take a chance with a shot to win a million. I think the guy that won the million in the uh, circuit this year, he um, he was a guy who got like furloughed who was a, a chef somewhere. So, I mean, anyone can win it, you know?
0: Yeah, that's really cool. So you talked a bit before about the earlier days and where you would find your information.
1: What's that like
0: nowadays? Is there a a filtering process to, to try and get a lot of this information? Because it is pretty noisy out there when it comes to to twitter and even like weekly podcasts that cover cover different leagues like even those are tough um to figure out what's useful and actionable and you can't spend the full 45 minutes going through them all to try and to do that so what's your normal way of of you know on a week-to-week basis digesting a lot of the important information that'll help you make the betting choices
1: yeah so i mean right now i, I mean i'm at the point where i would i would you know I guess my my handicapping style would be more of a, you know, I'm a line grinder type guy. I'm going to definitely be, you know, checking out Don Best screens and stuff like that and seeing where the market's going. I mean, you know, I'll I'll be 100% honest with you. Um, When you had your, your, your betting event and I met Spanky, my whole entire, you know, theory of how to bet kind of changed off of that um so it's really more to a point of just you know watching the screen seeing what's moving seeing what what looks good uh what you can catch at some of these books um i mean i'll be honest with you that's pretty much half of the battle now i mean the days of me going out and and you know looking up baseballreference.com for hours and looking at you know advanced sabermetrics and stuff like that i mean everything is pretty much factored into that line. And I mean, I think a lot of people need to understand that, you know, what you may think is not in the line is already in the line. And like, you're going to need information that's not factored in there. If you're really going to, you know, do something crazy and, you know, beat the line consistently. But I mean, for the most part, yeah, the the more books you have and the more you can find the inefficiencies. I mean, that's, that's pretty much the name of the game. And I owe a lot of that to, to Spanky for sure.
0: So, that top down approach, how, how many hours do you have to spend on Don Best, on a lot of these odd sites to understand what's happening, how the market's moving, and then trying to get those signals that you can use and, and hopefully fire some shots at your sports books while all that's happening?
1: Yeah. And I'll be honest with you. That's, that's probably if, if somebody were to watch it, like the average person who wants to make money sports betting, they'd probably go, this is super boring. You just sit in front of a screen all day and you're just looking at all these different books moving and the the screen is flashing and this and that. And you know, you're, you're checking books and this and that, like, it's not a a fun way to make money. Um, But you know, it definitely takes time. You got to kind of know too, when, when things change early morning, a lot of stuff will change and then you got to it'll be like kind of a lull in the afternoon at certain points. And then, uh, you know, keep those Twitter notifications on, follow those, those, those beat reporters and stuff who know that, you know, Kevin Durant's going to miss tonight or Kyrie Irving is sitting out again. And now, boom, there's your movement all over the screen that, you know, the line is dropping instantly. Um, so, I mean, a lot of it is just, if you're there at the right time, you can catch some stuff. And I mean, it really depends on your schedule. If you're doing a bunch of other stuff, You know, I might have the morning completely open to do stuff and, you know, my afternoon booked up with with different type of things, so I'm not really looking at the screen in the afternoon, but so much of it, too, is just record keeping. I mean, uh, it's amazing how much of a better, better, pardon the pun, uh, I've become since, you know, legalization and tracking every bet that I make and seeing, you know, where the line closed, where was I at? Was I way off? Was I on it? Was I, you know, three points ahead of it? I mean, so much of that can tell you if you're doing the right thing. And I mean, you do that over time long enough and you'll see the results. You'll see your accounts go up. You'll see your limits coming in. I know like, you know, I want to say maybe last year I was betting on like college basketball Patriot League games and like, you know, it's a super small market, but you start beating those lines and you're going to get limited to like 100 bucks if that, you know, on how much you can get down, which becomes discouraging and you know it it, it's true it it does happen and you get to that point where you're like you know now where do i go you know
0: so do you have to actively not bet certain things or or choose which shots you want to take just because you want to preserve those accounts especially if you're working from a top-down point of view where um you know you're grinding all those different lines and, and you want to make sure you can make sure that account lasts
1: Yeah. And you know, you could, you could do your best job of that. And that's the thing. I mean, I never tried to go in there and, you know, uh, like a lot of people go, Oh, I I tried to fire in a dime and they wouldn't take it. And it's like, well, you know, the more you keep trying to fire in dimes and you win a couple bet, your account's going to go through the roof and they're going to see that you're winning, you know, crazy, crazy value on all your stuff. So what I try to do is I try to use like five or six books. And I mean, it's hard to get down before things change, but you know, you got to, kind of put you know 200 here 100 here 200 there 200 there and that's kind of the way you can kind of preserve a little bit but i mean you know it's going to get to a point where you know i'm sure uh, the stuff i'm talking about now in a year from now may not still hold up true you know
0: yeah well and even just thinking about obviously gil has stood the test of time and he's probably one of the unique you know the unicorns in this space we've been able to do it for a long long period of time um but even now you know spanky's podcast you can get stuff on online with uh with captain jack of course and then you've got like jeff and rufus doing a show each week and people can talk about how useful that content is you know across the board but i think there's no doubt it's raised the level and it's raised the understanding and awareness of, of how all this stuff happens and what people are doing and i think that's It's going to be interesting to see, obviously, you know, you and the Wager Pager crew having your own show as well. A lot of that making all of us better at doing this thing. It's, it's interesting how that'll continue to evolve. Because if you think about 10 years ago versus today, like even just projecting forward another five years in a legalized environment, it's, it's going to be crazy.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think that's, that's another thing too. I mean, you know, just as far as the, um, you know, The presentation of the way things are now, I mean, you know, there's a lot of, like you said, you mentioned a lot of great, great stuff just now. Captain Jack and Bet the Process and and all those shows are are excellent stuff if you're really trying to take your game to the next level and, you know, do this in a long-term approach. Those are all great places, but I mean... Just the coverage that you see out there. There's a lot of garbage out there too that people take as gospel, and you know, you wonder if those if those things will ever go away. You know, I don't I don't think so. Yeah.
0: Well, the funny thing is, it might help those people that want to put in the work, put in the time, and and try and get an earn out of this. They want to continue to have, unfortunately, um, some of that garbage out there that more people seem to listen to. It's funny how, you know, your stuff a lot of other people that do good stuff still is considered niche. Uh, even this podcast is what I would say is a niche podcast. And Absolutely. yet you have, uh, you know, the the more generic um, national or regional stuff that has a far bigger audience that may not be that helpful or that useful. Um, I think it's fair to say, and that might be being kind. But for whatever reason, that's going to be the way it is. And, and maybe the irony is, is that that'll help a lot of us who want to try and make an earn out of this uh, this space.
1: Yeah. Absolutely, I I couldn't agree more with you.
0: One last thing: people that you know find you, or people you talk to, or back before COVID, you bump into at the the different sports books, either in Vegas or Meadowlands or whatever it might be. What what do you tell them when they're thinking about finding their way into this indus- into this industry? Obviously, jerseys a little bit more uh, mature than some of these other new markets that are opening up. But if if someone's listening to this and they're in a, one of these states that hasn't legalized yet, that will soon. Do you have any advice for those types of people? Because a lot of them will probably be, you know, in their 20s and 30s and about to be hit by a barrage of, of legal bookmakers. And they would probably be, you know, wise to listen to, to folks like you that have been through that sort of whirlwind over the last, you know, three, five, seven, ten 10 years.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, Jake, it, it certainly has its advantages and it also has its disadvantages um, I kind of had the, the, the dream picture in my mind of this is great that there's legalized sports books. And, you know, if, if I really get good at my craft, I could definitely maybe do this full time forever. And, you know, we're all saved. And then you get to that (laughs) point where, you know, you have a good college basketball season, or you have a really good, you know, NBA total season and things get cut back. And it's like, All right, this is not what I expected. And, you know, my local guy will still take more money than, you know, what this person will take. And, you know, I'm back to meeting up every Monday with, you know, trying to settle up accounts and this and that. So I think, though, a lot of it, though, has to do with it's what the better wants to do. Like, what is their end goal? If you just want to be somebody who says, hey, you know what, I hate, you know, betting with money I don't have and going over my head and over betting legalized sports books are great. You could post up your money. You can't get crazy with things. Um, You know, a lot of these apps have really good, um, you know, features where they could lock how much you you deposit over a week, over a day, over a year, you know, all that type of stuff. So there's definitely a lot of good that comes with it. But I would just be, you know, be cautious if you think that, you know, just because now there's, there's legalized gambling and you know what you're doing that, you know, you're gonna be making six figures a year just betting at FanDuel and, and DraftKings. It's not gonna happen. You know, um, you're still gonna to have to do a lot of work, and you know that seems to be what happens. You get to that point where you're good, and now it becomes, well, how do I get more money down? And and it, it goes like we said, talking about Captain Jack earlier. You know, it's, it becomes art versus the science of it. Um, so I would just be cognizant of, of really what you're trying to do. If you're just trying to have fun it's definitely you know it's great you could bet on so many different things depending on jurisdiction uh you know first touchdowns and stuff like that a lot of people love doing that and they're fun bets and stuff like that but i would just definitely be weary of uh what what your your end game is kind of and and that's probably the best way i could put it
0: awesome well thanks for your time brock it's, it's fun catching up it's always good to talk betting here in jersey and across the U S and, and hopefully we see you with one of those oversized checks soon, winning one of those contests in, in Vegas or here, here in Jersey.
1: Absolutely. That would be great, Jake. I can only hope. And, uh, it's been a, a real pleasure being on this show. Um, a huge fan of the show. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I've listened to pretty much every episode, uh, since episode one. And I'll be honest with you through COVID, you know, everything being closed so much, so many times in the summer, just re-listening to old stuff that I did, And, you know, re-listening to to so many good guests that you've had over over time. And this is definitely one of those podcasts that I tell people, if you want to get better, listen to people that Jake has had on. Listen to what, you know, these people preach and practice. And, you know, it it definitely helped me tenfold. Like I said, this stuff is evergreen that you could go back to it and, and listen to it and it'll help you. And, you know, there's definitely just so much good stuff that has come from this podcast on behalf of everybody that's ever listened. I can't thank you enough. Uh,
0: You're a good man. I appreciate a lot, Brock. And hopefully we get to catch up soon, have a beer and, uh, you know, enjoy the, the old world as it was. So thanks again for your time, buddy. And we'll talk again soon.
1: All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Jake.